were held in the hands of the goddess. We are held, we are held, we are held. We are loved in the heart of the goddess. We are loved, we are loved, we are loved. What in your life needs to heal? Is it something in your body? Is it in your thoughts or your feelings? Welcome to the Empowered Healer Show with your host, Dr. Susan Allison. Our program will present healing methods and ideas to help you change the challenging parts of your life and support the people who mean the most to you. Now, here is Dr. Susan Allison. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Empowered Healer Show. I'm Dr. Susan Allison, and it is so good to have you with us today. I've been looking forward to this show with Jack Canfield for some time and know it's going to be fantastic. So how do I know that? Do I have a crystal ball or something? Uh, no, but I have heard Jack speak and have read his books and I find them and him inspiring and motivating. I loved his recent book, The Golden Motorcycle Gang, which was co-authored with my literary agent, Bill Gladstone. Bill's been on the show twice and I just pre-recorded a show with Barbara Marks Hubbard that will air in September, who's a large presence in the book. I love having Bill, Barbara, and now Jack on the show for their combined energy. I was just telling uh, Jack that before the show started. That's all, uh, you know, it's all about us evolving as humans to be the best, the brightest, and the most conscious that we can be. On today's show, Jack will be sharing stories about his own life that appear in the Golden Motorcycle Gang in order to inspire us to rise above any of life's challenges and reach our greatest dreams. As you listen to the show today, because I always like to give you, the listener, something to think about, maybe ask and answer these questions. What do you do best that only you can do? And what is it that you want more than anything? What's your dream? So let the answers percolate as you listen to Jack. And then maybe after the show, write down all that you've realized. Jack Canfield has reached his early dreams, and that's why I feel he's an important mentor for all of us. He received his BA from Harvard and a master's degree from the University of Massachusetts. He's been a psychotherapist, an educational consultant, a trainer, and an expert in the areas of self-esteem and peak performance. Jack is often called America's number one success coach. He's the originator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And get ready for this. He sold 123 million copies. That's a lot of books. He is the founder of the Transformational Leadership Council and has conducted more than 2,500 training groups, workshops, and seminars. He's a New York Times bestselling author, and he once had... Seven, that's right, seven titles on the list at the same time. So let's learn today from Jack Canfield how we can be agents of change and feel happier and more successful in all we do. So hi, Jack, and welcome to the show. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Susan. You're very welcome. And 
You know, I have read your book a couple times because of having Bill on the show, and I tailored the questions to sort of his part in the book and then read it again and really got more out of it the second time. And today we're going to be focusing on you and your life. So I always like to start this way anyway with my guests, which is to ask you about your childhood, your early life, um, and, and how your childhood experiences perhaps helped you become the man you are today? Well, basically, I had a difficult childhood. My, my mother was an alcoholic and sometimes a raging one. My father was an alcoholic, my first father, until I was six, and he used to, you know, regularly like to take a belt to us. I can remember literally hiding. I don't know if you remember the old radios back in the 1950s when I was growing up. They were these big consoles with mm-hmm. a little tiny radio at the top and the bottom was empty with a little speaker mm-hmm. in it. And I used to get behind there and pull the radio over me <laughs> and I would hide in it when my dad was drinking wow. uh, to stay safe. So uh, the positive part of that is I developed something psychologists call hypervigilance. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Hypervigilance where I literally notice everything in my environment. If uh, if an ashtray has been moved in somebody's house uh, from one room to the next, I can notice it. And so I had to do that to survive. I had to be able to perceive my father's moods, which has made me a very good therapist for many years when I was a psychotherapist. I could tell, I'd ask a question and people's pupils would dilate or mm-hmm. their eyes would squint and I would always notice these things and still do. Mm-hmm. So wow. while it was challenging and difficult, it also taught me some, some useful skills that uh, allowed me to have more compassion, more empathy, more ability to perceive what's going on with people. Um, and you know, but I grew up in a in a small town, Wheeling, West Virginia. It's a mm-hmm. time when if you weren't in school at three o'clock, someone would say, "Aren't you Ellen Canfield's boy? Shouldn't you be in school?" <laughs> uh, that doesn't happen today anywhere that I've aware of. <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> exactly. So I always say Wheeling was a good town to be from because I'm glad to be in a, in a more cosmopolitan place. But growing up, it was kind of a other than my parents was an ideal childhood. You know, the kind you see in these old movies where the boys are all having adventures when they're eleven and twelve and thirteen and. That's what my life was like. I got to be uh, have a lot of fun with people and played sports and, and did all that. But I think I developed a lot of resilience from my parents and um, a lot of compassion because of what I experienced. And uh, the last thing is we moved a lot. And my dad was in the Air Force for the first uh, seven or eight years of his life. And so we, or my life, rather, and we lived in Texas and Omaha, Nebraska, Minneapolis, Florida, finally settled in, in West Virginia. So... While I don't have the same sense of rootedness that people have, I have a sense of planetary citizenship that no matter where I go, I can instantly make friends and feel like I'm part of the community. Mm-hmm. No, I I really love how you took a, a difficult childhood. My father was an alcoholic also, and I did some of the same things you did. And I've never heard anyone sort of mention the hypervigilance. And I think that that's, you know, it's typical in a way of being in a family with alcohol, an alcoholic but also it's really positive. I'm also a psychotherapist, and so I really do notice those things in people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, you took a lot of things that were negative and you turned them into positives in terms of of the rest of your life and how you help other people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I love that. I'd love to hear a little bit about your grandmother. My grandmother was, was a very interesting and, and loving person. Um, she... Uh, she was a cousin of Wallace Warfield Simpson, who was the um, uh, Duchess of Windsor, you know, that the king left mm-hmm. his throne for, right. uh, Wallace Warfield. And her name was Blanche Warfield Taylor, and they were cousins in Baltimore. And, um, you know, my grandmother was someone who, uh, she, she had a an 
elegance about her and a grace about her. And again, another alcoholic. The gene was in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, you know, inspired me. Her husband was the, um, the ambassador to World War After World War II, he was the ambassador to Germany. And um, mm. he, he really brought a sense of world consciousness to our family. And while at some level she might have been perceived as the typical, uh, you know, trophy wife, blonde from Maryland, uh, at the same time she had to, when he, he died when my mom was 16, my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And so my grandmother, in order to survive, uh, opened up a shop in her home. And mm-hmm. she would sell, you know, what m- most people would buy as birthday presents, you know, silver mm-hmm. frames for pictures and kilts from Scotland and, you know, beautiful belts and things like that, that the upper class in our town would come and they would support her by buying from her rather than from local stores and, and managed to stay alive that way. But it was her entrepreneurism, I think, more than anything, her resilience, her survival mm-hmm. mechanisms, if you will. And the other thing was, you know, I, I remember as a child, we when my mom and dad got divorced, I moved in with her and I lived in the attic of her house for a couple of years and uh, with my mom. And uh, my grandmother cooked everything from scratch. There was this mm-hmm. Italian vegetable truck that would come down the neighborhood, and she would buy zucchinis and broccoli and onions. And mm-hmm. she was um, a person who, and, and she had tremendous integrity. I can remember one day there was a boy next door who I really didn't like, and he didn't like me, and he was constantly intimidating me. And he would get his friends to trap me and try to beat mm-hmm. me up on my bike and stuff. And I remember one day he had made this little city in his backyard with popsicle sticks and strings that looked like, uh, what would you call them, uh, telephone poles. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I went over there when he wasn't looking, and I basically destroyed the whole thing. It was like Nagasaki hit his backyard. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I was feeling kind of good about it. My grandmother made me go over and apologize, or she wouldn't let me eat dinner. <laughs> so yep. I had to learn about forgiveness and, and uh, accountability and yep. taking responsibility and, and, and not doing those kind of vengeful acts and learning how mm-hmm. to control my anger. And so she was a great a great influence on me as a child. Yeah, I love the line in your book where it says that, you know, he wanted to make people happy and earn a great living at the same time that you saw your grandmother doing both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I she love was. that. She was. And she, she, my grandmother, when I was 11, she started telling us dirty jokes. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like, she was this combination of grace and elegance and, and down down to earth uh, reality. What a character. Yeah. What a character. But, you know, it's all of this, you know, has formed who you are. And, um, you know, I love that. And also, you know, I, I'm going to skip ahead a bit just sure. because we don't have a super amount of time. But, you know, deciding to teach in an inner school, in, you know, inner schools and inner cities mm-hmm. um, also changed you. Yeah, what happened was I, I had a, a, my, I was major in Chinese history at Harvard, which doesn't relate to anything I do today except I like Oriental art. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I had a past life in China that was bleeding over into this life. But anyway, I, my senior year I took an elective in psychology and I wanted to become a psychologist. And at that point I had no undergraduate courses. Mm-hmm. And someone said, well, you can sneak into psychology through education. So I ended up applying to the University of Chicago we had this orientation week where you go out and you visit a couple of schools to decide, you know, what kind of schools you like to teach them. And the first school we went to was called DuSable High School. It had just been written up in Time Magazine as the worst high school in America in terms of inner-city gang problems. Teachers didn't want to teach there. And I remember thinking, wow, I could really make a difference here. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And then we went to a second school. It was called Rich Township, and it was very aptly named. All the girls had madras, dress, you know, uh, skirts on and circle pins and perfect hair, and the, the home economics lab looked like something out of a General Electric, uh, you know, place. <laughs> Commercial. That, showroom, you know. Yeah. And, and I thought, oh, my God, this is so much disparity here. Mm-hmm. So I ended up choosing to, to do my student teaching in the Calumet High School on the south side of Chicago, and uh, it really radicalized me in terms of my awareness of the differences in, in, in um, opportunity in America. And so it made me, it was the first stirrings of my desire to be a social activist and to make mm-hmm. a difference and to go beyond teaching history and, and, and try to empower people to live their dreams even in the face of low self-esteem and not believing they could do it. Yep. No, I, I love that part of your book. In fact, I told um, Bill Gladstone I taught at Trenton High School in Trenton, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I could so relate to your descriptions in the book. And I was, like, on fire. We had people from Kent State come talk to the students. And we mm-hmm. had a big we had a big riot in the school, and it was heartbreaking because I was seeing my students just, like, you know, try to kill each other. And I remember, I remember it just as if it were yesterday. And so... I had the same sort of vision and ambition to change the world, and, and I went right. into Trenton High School. Well, we had a ride at my school. I was teaching in 1968, the year Martin Luther King was killed, and mm-hmm. um, literally the students went crazy. Their, yeah. their, their main leader you know, had been assassinated, and uh, so there was a, a radical and very violent uh, uh, riot in the school, and, and a lot of the teachers locked themselves in a the teacher's lounge. I remember literally there was this uh, big... I'm going to guess Polish or you know Czechoslovakian fire fighter who must have been six foot through, and I literally grabbed an axe that he was about to put through a kid's head from behind because wow. someone kid bumped into him was about six eight and a basketball player, mm. and I remember looking the fireman in the eye when he looked me in the eye and I said, "Please, you really don't want to do that," and it mm. kind of brought him back to reality because he was just Jeez. in fear, and oh. uh, the whole school was in fear. But yep. Uh, that 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 moment will live in my mind as clearly mm-hmm. as any moment in history. Yep. No, I I, <clears throat> I totally understand what you're what you're talking about, and we do need to to take a break. Mm-hmm. I want to come back um, with Jack Canfield, author of The Golden Motorcycle Gang, and much more. We'll be right back. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Dr. Susan Allison is available online, by phone, and in person to help you heal whatever is no longer working in your life. You can go to her website at www.empoweredhealer.com or call her toll-free at 866-268-2121. Dr. Allison also has CDs and DVDs available on her website to empower you even more. You can listen to her voice guide you through meditations, visualizations, and exercises from her book, Empowered Healer. Her powerful book is available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Balboa Press, and from local bookstores. 
Begin today to gain the confidence, power, and ability to heal yourself. Visit EmpoweredHealer.com or call 866-268-2121. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Be the change. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. We are held in the hands of the goddess. We are held, we are held, we are You are tuned in to the Empowered Healer Show with Dr. Susan Allison. If you wish to speak to Dr. Allison or her guests this week, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or you can send an email to the Empowered Healer at Comcast.net. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, everyone, to the Empowered Healer Show. And uh, we have Jack Canfield with us today. His recent book is The Golden Motorcycle Gang. And in the book, there, you know, he and Bill Gladstone tell lots of stories um, about Jack's life and about our purpose for being here and uh, conscious evolution and so on, which we'll get to in a bit. But we were just talking about teaching in inner city schools and wanting to do more and uh, affect social change and so on. And uh, I, I want to move from that, Jack, you're being a teacher to you're having so many teachers and mentors in your life. And I wonder if you could share about who some of these people have been and what they've taught you. Well, some of the people I talk about in the book, uh, Frank Brody changed my life. I was in a laundromat at the University of Chicago, and he comes in and says, put your book down and talk to me. I went, okay. <laughs> and so he invited me to go to this lecture series with him up at Kendall College in Evanston, and it was called the Living Philosopher Series. Mm-hmm. And uh, amazing people presented there. But the first one I went to, there was a guy named Herbert Otto, who was the director of the National Center for Human Potential. And he was saying that we're only using 10% of our brain. And I thought, whoa. So I went up to him afterwards and said, how do you learn to use the rest of it? And he said, well, there's a place in town called the W. Clement and Jesse V. Stone Foundation. They do workshops there. You should go take some. So I met W. Clement Stone, who became uh, a mentor to me, who was uh, worth about half a billion dollars at the time, $600 million back in 1968. Mm. And he took me under his wing and taught me about personal responsibility, taught me that success was not a four-letter word because I was in that kind of countercultural, you know, yep. people are bad kind of mentality at the time. And as uh, Bob Proctor said in The Secret, if you don't have any money, the good you can do is limited to your physical presence. If you have a lot of money, you can do good all over the world. You don't even have to go there. So mm-hmm. that, he kind of introduced me to that idea, and we started working together to help empower gang members in Chicago to become entrepreneurs rather than gang members because they were people that had leadership skills and entrepreneurial skills, but they weren't directed in the proper way. I then ended up going to Jesse Jackson's church, Jesse Jackson, the great civil rights leader, Mm -hmm. and started learning from him about how you really get things to change. Uh, And that was very, very powerful for me. And then I talk in the book also about Stuart Emery, who was one of the people that uh, helped found EST, which is now Landmark Trainings. And he 
had been studying with uh, Muktananda, who was a uh, was died a uh, spiritual teacher from India, and was teaching meditation and other things. And so Stuart helped me open up to that part of the world and really the idea of creating safe space. I really yes. now believe that the best thing we can do is create spaces that are safe for people to explore who they really are, take risks, and expand their potential. And so whether we do that in a classroom, a workshop, a seminar, an ashram, you know, a commune, a company, uh, whatever it might be, mm. he was the guy that really helped me open up to that. And now we're actually writing a leadership book together called um, oh, Self-Transforming Leaders. Mm. Wonderful. And that was one of, another favorite part of the book for me was, you know, when you were talking with Stuart and practicing meditation, mm-hmm. that you began remembering your vision of the Golden Motorcycle Gang. Yeah, it was funny because what happened for me, the, the, the title of the book comes from an experience I had in graduate school where we were asked to go back to the time when we chose to become a teacher. We had our eyes closed, kind of a guided visualization, trying to get us to reconnect to our initial purpose, our initial intention. And uh, most people went back to fourth grade. Mrs. Tuttle inspired them or in summer school. You know, they taught inner city or something, and they got mm-hmm. inspired like I did at UFC. And I went back to before I was born, and it totally freaked me out. Uh, I was not expecting that. And I saw myself literally flying through space with a bunch of other souls, spirits, disincarnate bodies, if you will, and we were somewhat irreverent, which is where the motorcycle gang kind of uh, title comes from. It's like a bunch of souls driving Harley Davidson through the universe. <laughs> and we looked down on Earth, and there was World War II was going on. I was born in 1944. And, you know, that's when he saw the atomic bombs going off and all that. And I went, oh, my God, we got to go down and help. This is a disaster down there. Mm-hmm. And so literally made a choice to incarnate into a body and come down to be a service on Earth. And after I was talking with Stuart and we started, you know, doing meditation, I remembered this uh, event, this, this experience in graduate school and the original experience of being in space and realized that I really had chosen to come down. And that's when I began to meet other people and there would be this vibrational connection you know, with yeah. someone like yourself who I would go, wow, you were part of that gold motorcycle gang, weren't you? And we're here to be of service. And so more and more we started hooking up and doing things together and networking and, you know, eventually created something called the Transformational Leadership Council as a result of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so who's in this gang? In this golden motorcycle gang, is there more than one, and can anybody join? Well, you know, it's it, it's it's metaphorical in a sense. At the same time, yep. I think it's real, and I don't think there's any like uh, there's no membership criteria. There's no committee <laughs> that says you're in or you're out. There's no initiation. You don't have to go and you know steal a car <laughs> like they do in the inner city in order to prove you got guts. But uh, really, I think the, the truth is you you self-identify. I mean. When the book first came out, I started getting hundreds of emails saying, I'm a member of the Gold Motorcycle Gang. I thought I was alone, especially from people living in places like Arkansas and Kentucky and Tennessee and places that are not normally considered seedbeds of, you know, new age consciousness like we have in California and on the East Coast and so forth. And so it's a, it's a way of saying, hey, you're part of this group that's made a commitment to be of service, to uh, help bring peace and ecological sustainability and love and cooperation you know, rather than competition, greed, and fear, and war, and all the things that come out of that uh, that we've seen, you know, around the world, like with the meltdown of Wall Street a few years ago, and all the wars that are going on, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I, when I read the book, I was 
emailing Bill and saying, wow, you know, you know, I've, I'm part of this. You know, I felt very excited um, to be part of it. And it sounds like you've got so many people saying the same thing, which is actually really exciting. Right. Really well, you know, exciting. People, people could even go to our website, uh, goldenmotorcyclegang.com, and, and actually register as a member. I mean, obviously, it's it's uh, not like you're going to get a badge or a leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. But it's a way of declaring that you're part of the group, that you're you're part of the commitment to create a world that works for everyone. What my friend Martin Root calls creating heaven on earth. Oh gosh, that's fabulous! Yeah, so we'll mention that also again towards the end of the show, so people can go there. Sure. You, you mentioned transformation, transformational leadership council, and because one of my questions is is for, and this would help listeners is how are are they related to this golden motorcycle gang concept? Well, basically, what happened is I got to a place where I was feeling alone in my leading a transformational training company, meaning that. There's only a handful of companies out there where there's more than one person, where mm-hmm. there's an actual organization that is doing experiential trainings. And by experiential, I mean you don't just listen to somebody talk, yep. but you actually go through exercises that when you go through them, you have aha experiences and they change your life. Yep. Things like Landmark, LifeSpring, Insight, you know, John Gray's Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus trainings, etc. And so I pulled together 30 people who were people running transformational training companies in my living room for three days and said, would you like to form an association? And everyone said yes. So we just finished two weeks ago up in Whistler, Canada, the resort up there where they had the Olympics, mm-hmm. our 16th meeting. We meet twice a year for four days. Great. And, um, you know, it started, you had to really have a training company. You had to be somewhat financially independent. So if we wanted to meet in Bali, you could go. And uh, somewhat free of ego. Nobody's totally free. And the last criteria was plays well with others. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are lone rangers and they don't do that very well. And so it's evolved into a committee where, to a, where we do have a membership committee and people are nominated and voted upon by the membership. And it grows very slowly, maybe five or six new people a year. We just added Don Miguel Ruiz, mm-hmm. uh, Ocean Robbins from the, um, you know, Baskin oh, yeah. Fortune. He's a really cool young man. Um, so it, it's, it, it's, it's amazing. We meet. Every year, twice a year, and what happens there is magical. It's uh, mm-hmm. Don Miguel Ruiz called it the. He said this is like the eagle's nest, where the eagles can come home from flying and doing all their hard work and just lick their wounds and support each other and love each other and mm-hmm. share good ideas and techniques. And then also we come up with how can we more positively and powerfully and quickly create change in the world. Fantastic! I love that. I um, yeah I. Also, I, I need to go back a little bit because I wanted to tap into the part of your life when you actually founded your company because I think it would be inspiring for our listeners that you you had fears, you know, you had uh, some doubts, you had some insecurities, but you still moved forward mm-hmm. and founded this company. So what is your advice for anyone who has a dream to do something as you did? Well, I wish fear would just disappear. It, it's, it rarely has in my life. I have learned some new technology like EFT tapping where you can tap away fears pretty quickly mm-hmm. um, and use that in my workshops now. But any time I've made a major leap like you know, leaving Massachusetts and moving to California, not knowing a soul out here, just knowing I wanted to be here because that's where all the people doing the work I wanted to do were, and um, literally you know, <laughs> had no job, had nothing. Mm-hmm. I just took $2,000 of my wife and we moved. And... Um, that was scary, 
And then yep. I worked for a company called Insight Training Seminars, and I did that for a couple of years. I finally decided I needed to move on. I think the leader was becoming a little bit of a cult leader, and it didn't sit well with me. And mm-hmm. uh, I was scared to death to go out on my own. Um, I, I borrowed $10,000 from my family, which is all I could muster up, and started my own company. And um, didn't know, if I didn't make my first training profitable, there wasn't going to be a second one. Yep. And so... I literally was going around putting up posters everywhere and calling people and doing little guest events. And this was before the internet, so you know, it didn't have that working for me. And uh, just, just did it. And um, I remember being in a workshop with John Gray and his uh, wife at the time, Barbara DeAngelis, and they did an exercise where you had to kind of uh, get angry at yourself for what you weren't doing. Mm-hmm. And I was just yelling at myself, you're such a baby, you're such a chicken, you won't just go out on your own, you know you're good enough, blah, blah, blah. And uh, at the end of that exercise, I went, darn it, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know, I, I've worked with Barbara life. also, and she has, you know, she always says there's always breakdown before breakthrough. Yeah. Well, that was the total truth process, which they used to teach, literally aimed at yourself. And um, I, as a result of it, it was transformational. And, and so uh, I right. just encourage anybody, listen. There's always going to be scary stuff out there. But here's the point. You have survived everything that ever happened to you, and you're going to survive the next thing. It's not going to kill you. All it'll do is make you stronger. You'll learn some new skills, some new techniques, some new qualities like strength, perseverance, resilience. Take the risk. Everything good that's ever happened in my life happened when I got outside of my comfort zone and took a risk, whether it was starting the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, starting my company self-esteem seminars, which morphed into the Campfield Training Group, uh, writing the Success Principles book, uh, you know, whatever it was, it's always been scary and it's always yep. been successful. Yep, very good advice. Very good advice uh, for our listeners. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with Jack Canfield. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Dr. Susan Allison is available online, by phone, and in person to help you heal whatever is no longer working in your life. You can go to her website at www.empoweredhealer.com or call her toll-free at 866-268-2121. Dr. Allison also has CDs and DVDs available on her website to empower you even more. You can listen to her voice guide you through meditations, visualizations, and exercises from her book, Empowered Healer. Her powerful book is available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Balboa Press, and from local bookstores. Begin today to gain the confidence, power, and ability to heal yourself. Visit EmpoweredHealer.com or call 866-268-2121. What are the benefits to combining modern science with ancient healing practices? For the answers, you'll want to tune into Frame of Mind with your host, Terry Sue. Each week, our program focuses on ways to live more holistically. By developing new ways of looking at our world, we can find ways to foster harmony and peace for the good of mankind and our planet. If we learn to live and think healthier, we begin to explore and focus on our strengths. Tune into Frame of Mind, Saturdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Be visionary. Be extraordinary. Be the change. This is the 7th Wave Channel. 
on the Voice America Network. We are held in the hands of the goddess. We are held, we are held, we are held. You are tuned in to the Empowered Healer Show with Dr. Susan Allison. If you wish to speak to Dr. Allison or her guests this week, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or you can send an email to the Empowered Healer at Comcast.net. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, everyone, to the Empowered Healers Show, and we're lucky to have Jack Canfield with us today, author of The Golden Motorcycle Gang, his latest book. We were just talking, and I hope you were listening before the break, about really pursuing your dream and not giving up, and sometimes when we're the most scared, you know, we're about to have a breakthrough, and we're just about there, and we're not to give up, and Jack was just uh, talking about that in his own life. And I wanted to ask you also in that regard about your, your Chicken Soup for the Soul series, because that's a great story, too, uh, along the same lines. Well, it's true. I, I uh, was collecting stories when I was back in high school teaching, because I remember whenever I would tell a story about an African-American who was successful, my kids would get, they would light up, they would listen. If I was talking about history, they were kind of looking out the window. And so I realized the power of story. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, as I transformed or trans were transferred from teaching school to teaching teachers and then eventually teaching the general public and then corporate and so forth, I uh, kept telling very inspirational, motivational, empowering stories. And one day this woman said, um, are those stories in a book anywhere? My daughter needs to read them. And I said, no. And then that happened like every day for about a month. It was mm. like God was knocking on my head saying, yep. you should have had a V8. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happens was I... I I was coming back from Boston to L.A. where I was living at the time. I live in Santa Barbara now. And uh, I started making a list of all the stories I knew. They didn't even have titles. The Girl Scout story, the dog story, the you know 55-year-old runner story, whatever. And I realized I had about 70 stories. I thought, whoa, that's enough for a book. So I started, the commitment was write two stories a week. And in 52 weeks, I'd have 104 stories, which would be plenty. So I started to do that. And uh, we... Eventually, Mark Victor Hansen hooked up with me and added some more stories, and we became co-authors together on it. And then we gave it to our agent who took it to New York with us, and we got rejected by every agent, every every publishing company in New York. We had 22 meetings over the course of three days. Everyone said, no, stupid title, no one reads short stories, no sex, no violence, not edgy, not cool, not hip, and nobody knows you guys, so get out of here. <laughs> and so uh, our agent gave us the book back, said, sorry, guys. And so we just said, well, Let's see if we can find someone on our own. If not, we'll self-publish it because you've got to be committed to your dream. And uh, eventually about a year, I think it was about a year later, we finally found a publisher by going to the American Booksellers Association Convention and going from booth to booth to booth where all the publishers had booths for their upcoming books, talking to editors. And it was late on the third day where a little publisher from Florida said, we'll read your manuscript. They're the first people to even take our manuscript. Oh, my gosh. And they called us two weeks later and said, we'll print it. We said, Great. Uh, how many copies do you think we'll sell? They said 20,000. We said, that's not our vision. He said, well, what's your vision? We said 150,000 by Christmas, coming out in July, a million and a half in a year and a half. Wow. And I don't know, Susan, if you've ever shared a dream with someone and had them laugh out loud at you. I have. He laughed out loud at us. I said, you guys are crazy. He said, no, <laughs> we're entrepreneurial. <laughs> we think we can do it. 
And uh, we sold 1.3 million in a year and a half. And as you mentioned, we went on to sell. Actually, now it's not 125 million. Just got figures in from China for the last three years. We're now at over 500 million copies. Oh my God! So, you'll have to update your website. Yeah, hundred million books. <gasps> 500 million. Oh my gosh, Jack. Yeah. Well, we set a goal in 1996, three years after it came out, we saw what was happening with the series, mm-hmm. that to sell one billion books by the year 2020. We call it our 2020 vision. And literally, we're halfway there, and we've still got eight years to go. Yes, you, you do. You're going to get there. And, you know, this says something also, and I know that, you know, you've been involved in the, in the secret, you know, the, in terms of the law of attraction and just putting out there what it is that you want. And then, you know, you can do that and then you have to walk through the doors when they open. It's so true. You know, literally we were, uh, in Chicago after we were visualizing, uh, we, we came with the goal to sell a million books in one day. No one had ever done that. Since then, Harry Potter, when it came out, the sixth and seventh versions did it with lots of hoopla up, up, leading up to it. But yep. anyway, we set this goal. We started visualizing. And I teach if you visualize something for 30 days in a row and don't miss a day, your subconscious takes on the task of making it happen. And the law of attraction kicks in because it's like sending out a, a spam email to the universe saying, help me do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happens is that we're on a bus coming back from uh, this convention, this woman sits down next to me and says, you're Jack Canfield. I said, yes, I am. I was feeling pretty proud she recognized me. Then she could see that. She said, you're wearing a name tag. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then she said, uh, you're the chicken soup guy, right? And I said, yeah. She said, what are you and Mark up to? I said, well, we just set a goal recently to sell a, a million books in one day. And she said, I can help you do that. I said, get out of here. Really? She said, yeah, I'm the buyer for the W.H. Smith bookstores, which are the bookstores you'll see in most airports. Oh, and my she gosh. said, we could do a a massive book signing where we'll fly you across the country over the course of a day to at least three cities. We'll get all your co-authors, of which we have numerous ones, um, and we'll fly them to them. We'll start at the East Coast, New York, Boston, etc. We'll go to St. Louis and Chicago and Dallas. We'll go to Salt Lake City and Phoenix. And we'll end up in California and Portland and San Diego. And she said, I bet we could sell a million books in one day. I went, let's do it. So now you would say that was a lucky thing she sat down next to me. I would say, no, that's the law of attraction at work. When you start visualizing and have a positive expectation, truly believe it's going to happen, then the universe starts to get very synchronous, as we say. Uh, you know, my, my wife coined a term uh, called, um, oh, God, I'm going to forget what it is now, but it's like synch- uh, synchro-mystical. That's what it was, synchro-mystical. She said, that's synchro-mysticism. And I went, yep, it is. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that story. Yeah. yeah, in fact, in the book, you talk about you know, the importance of synchronicity and that, you know, once you worked with Stuart and you were meditating and you were, you know, following your heart and so on, all these people started showing up and I bet they've never stopped. No, it's true. I mean, literally, I get people emailing me probably once a week saying, I know you have a goal to sell a billion books. I think I can help you in South America or I think I can help you in Brazil or I think I can help you on the Internet or whatever. I teach people if you have a dream, broadcast it. When Martin Luther King said, I have a dream, he didn't say I have a complaint. He said, I have a dream. And he focused on what he wanted, not what he didn't want. And the whole world, not the whole world, but a lot of people rallied around him. Same with Mandela in South Africa, with Mother Teresa, with Gandhi in India. You have to run the flag up the pole, take a stand for what you believe in, whether it's world peace, ecological sustainability, social justice, or your own dream. Uh, And then trust that people will respond. Yeah, no, I love that. And, you know, 
do you feel that that's how people have all these synchronicities happening is that they have initially just put it out there to the universe on some level and then everyone and everything starts lining up and showing up? As long as you stay in a state of, you know, some people would describe it as grace. We say grace, is the same word as gracias, which is thank you in mm-hmm. Spanish. So when you're in a, instead of gratitude, which also comes from the same root word as grace, then what happens is if you're in gratitude, if you're in joy, this is why it's important to learn how to manage your emotional states, whether it's through meditation, EFT tapping, the Sedona method, Byron Katie's work, all methodologies which I've studied and I'm sure you have too, mm-hmm. that allow people to maintain uh, joy and peace and calm rather than anger, upset, jealousy, greed, frustration, impatience. I love this new nuance, impatience. When you're impatient, it means you're focusing on the not having of something. So the minute you get into impatience, you're not focused on gratitude for what you have. You're focused on the fact that something hasn't showed up yet. And so that takes you out of grace. It takes you out of being in a vibrational match for the thing you want to attract. Because law of attraction says that which is you are vibrating at, you will attract more of that same vibration into your life. Mm, I love that. That's just where I was this morning. In fact, I was in <laughs> impatience. You know, and also control, I think, is like the cousin you know, that I want, to, I want to kind of orchestrate it and control it when the universe hasn't really lined it up yet. Well, there's nothing wrong with working toward a goal. There's nothing wrong with having goals, with having strategies, action plans, being in action. In fact, action is a demonstration of the second part of the law of attraction as taught by the secret, ask, believe, and receive. So you act because you believe your actions will produce a result. If you're not acting, it means you don't think your actions will produce a result. There are times when you can simply release it to God, release it to the universe, release it to source mm-hmm. energy, and without any seemingly action in the world, stuff will come to you. Uh, a friend of mine who does a program called uh, Psycho Cybernauts, where he does a lot of inner work with people in sensory okay. deprivation chambers and so forth, where you go in and there's no noise, no light, whatever, and so your mind becomes very, you become very aware of how your mind is working. What he says is that the deeper work you've done spiritually in this life and even perhaps in past lives, the level of consciousness you have is going to accelerate the speed of the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. So if you've done a lot of work on yourself, as you seem to, and I have as well, then when we intend something, it will happen a lot quicker than someone who's fairly unconscious because the vibration we hold is higher just from all the work we've done. Law of attraction will still work. It's just like driving a, a Porsche versus driving a 1954 Chevy. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right the, about the vibration being higher. I just had someone say that to me the other day, um, and I have friends, they call me the manifester because I'll just you know write something down, put it in my drawer, and I'll even see it years later, and there's one time a mouse had been you know nibbling it around the edges. It was that old, and uh, everything had come true. Yeah. Everything. Well, there's actually research for the University of Pennsylvania that if you write your goals down and put them in a drawer, you're about 200% more likely to have them come true than if you didn't do that. Just write them down, forget about them. But if you write them down and read them on a regular basis, it actually happens even faster. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah, so that, yeah, the mice were at work and so was the universe. Well, the, they, 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 I wanted to make a pun. The, the, sure. the holy dream you had, see, the mice were digging holes through your... 
<laughs> Absolutely. It was definitely a holy dream, let me tell you. In fact, I think I saved it because it was just so phenomenal that the, you know, all the little edges were frayed and so on. Anyway, it looks like we have to take a break. I'm sorry because I'm really enjoying this, but we'll be right back with Jack Canfield. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Is there a difference between dream work and intuition? The relationship is closer than you think. These are mutually supportive concepts. When you dream, your intuition serves as a foreshadow of the future and can bring rapid results through dream analysis. Tune in to The Partnership of Intuition and Dreams with your host, Dr. Marcia Emery. Explore this unique relationship and learn to understand how the symbolism of dreams can be clarified. Listen every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Dr. Susan Allison is available online, by phone, and in person to help you heal whatever is no longer working in your life. You can go to her website at www.empoweredhealer.com or call her toll-free at 866-268-2121. Dr. Allison also has CDs and DVDs available on her website to empower you even more. You can listen to her voice guide you through meditations, visualizations, and exercises from her book, Empowered Healer. Her powerful book is available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Balboa Press, and from local bookstores. Begin today to gain the confidence, power, and ability to heal yourself. Visit EmpoweredHealer.com or call 866-268-2121. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You are tuned in to the Empowered Healer Show with Dr. Susan Allison. If you wish to speak to Dr. Allison or her guests this week, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or you can send an email to the Empowered Healer at Comcast.net. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. And we're having a wonderful discussion with Jack Canfield, author of The Golden Motorcycle Gang. And I can't believe we're in our last segment of the show. It's gone so fast. And so I want to focus on uh, the book a bit more, focus on uh, the dream that, you know, it's Barbara Marks Hubbard's dream, Bill's dream, your dream, this this having this incredible celebration on December 22nd, 2012, the birth of a new world. And I wonder if you could talk about that a bit. Well, basically, everyone knows about the Mayan calendar, and so the end of that period uh, happens on December 21st, supposedly, and so we thought, that's great, but what about the next stage that's happening? So we want to have a birthday of the birth of a new age on December 22nd and celebrate everything that's right with humanity. There's so many good things happening out there, millions of grassroots organizations. They don't make the newspapers or the TV shows like the Democratic and Republican parties do with all the campaigning going on now for the election, but that's really where the rubber is meeting the road, much more than even what Congress or the government's doing. So basically, it's a way to celebrate our common humanity 
to celebrate and to make a statement, a stand, take a stand for uh, peace, for love, for joy, for compassion, for cooperation, for collaboration. Um, you know, what Barbara calls super sex, when you come together to collaborate to create something transformational rather than just to create a baby. And so I think that, you know, right now there are things being planned all over the world. I know there's a number of things happening at the Mayan uh, ruins being planned by people down in Mexico, the shamans from all over South America and Central America. And we want to do the same thing here uh, in the United States and Europe and Asia around the world so people can literally uh, go online and, and go to birth2012.com and find out uh, what, what, what's happening and get involved with your local communities or start something. You know, if there's yep. nothing going on in your local community, I had a professor in college once say, if you're looking for a book on something and you can't find it, it means you're supposed to write it. So that's like when I started the Transformational Leadership Group. There wasn't one. So be that person. Don't be uh, unbold. This is not a time for uh, shyness or for holding back or meekness or humility. This is a time. It literally is game on time for the planet. We all have to step up. Just to give you one little fact that's happening now, mm-hmm. there's a group called Evolutionary Leaders that uh, Deepak Chopra started that I'm also a member of. And uh, right now there's a, just a, the emails going back and forth. I can't keep up with them. There's so many mm. about what's, what's happened. We now know that the polar ice, the ice cap around Iceland, uh, the ice that's been covering Iceland for years, NASA, when it flies over it, looks down and usually about a 30 to 40% ice melt over the course of the entire summer. We're not even through the summer yet. It's almost 90% melted. Oh, my God. And so there, there really is a, a call. We're talking about maybe four years to turn this around, and we don't have time to screw around anymore. So it's kind of like, hey, the river's rising. It's time to take the TV out of the living room and uh, put it in the car and move to higher ground. So we all got to get involved right now. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, you know, I've been having a lot of people on my show talking about 2012 and what we need to do um, to make sure that we do move into a more harmonious and peaceful time on our planet. And how can listeners become agents for conscious evolution? Like, what can each person do? Well, basically, you know, everyone can become themselves more fully. If you become you more fully, meaning you start following your bliss, your joy, using that as your inner compass, which basically, <clears throat> excuse me, is the way that we know that we're doing what we're supposed to do because you feel joy in your body. If you'll do that, what will happen is we'll guide you toward that which the planet needs. You will become more aligned with your true purpose. And whether it's doing hospice work with people, whether it's organizing uh, or, you know, events, whether it's being a teacher in the inner city school, whether it's just being more loving to your neighbors, whatever it might be that you're called to do, uh, each of us, I believe, has an inborn purpose. Mine is to inspire and empower people to live their highest vision in the context of love and joy. Someone else's might be to bring order and harmony where there's chaos. Maybe you're drawn to do work in Africa uh, with the wells and with people for education. Maybe you're drawn to do uh, work with uh, you know peace in the neighborhood, working with gang members, working with whatever. So whatever it is that you've been thinking about, it's time to do it. It's time to volunteer. It's time to organize. It's time to really stop sitting around being entertained and start to get involved and get active to create a world that works. Because, you know, I'm optimistic. Americans in general and people in the world generally step up when they're, when they're threatened. When 9-11 happened, we saw an entire country come together for weeks. It didn't last forever, but we knew we saw the possibility of it. 
and people were being kind to their neighbors, and people were reaching out, raising money for the victims, and so forth. We have that capacity. We need to not wait for another catastrophe, but to get into the evolution of consciousness rather than the transformation that occurs only when you have a heart attack or only when you have an accident. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I really liked your saying, though, about the four years, mm-hmm. just because I think that there also can be sort of a, a state of denial mm-hmm. or, you know, we just, oh, you know, it's not going to happen to us and, you know, we have plenty of time. And so I've been hearing this. I haven't heard four years before, which really sobers me up. But I have heard from a lot of my guests and a lot of my friends yeah. and colleagues something similar, which is the time is now. Right. This is the 11th hour, 11, you know, 59 minutes and 50 seconds on the clock. There's a woman named Lynn Twist. I don't know if you've ever interviewed her on your show, but if you haven't, you should. Okay. She runs an organization called the Pachamama Alliance and now has a new organization called Four Years Go. And four years left and go is now. And um, she is one of the most loving, articulate, compassionate people to talk about the current state of affairs and how we can survive it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, because of the transformation of human consciousness, which is possible, there was a think tank in Europe uh, that people like Shell Oil and people like that would go to for advice about the coming trends. And two years ago, they shut down the think tank because they saw there was no trend that they could reverse in time that would save us from the end of the world. These were the brightest scientists in the world. They were, they were so despondent. And then Lynn Twist and her group did a workshop for them called Awakening the Dreamer, uh, Changing the Dream. Mm. And it's a workshop that, that they can do for anyone anywhere in the world, and they'll be glad to do it for you. Uh, just go to PachamamaAlliance.org. And what right. happens is that they did this workshop for these scientists, and they said, wow, there is hope. We never factored the potential transformation of human consciousness into our models. Wow. If human consciousness can transform and people can actually change their behavior, then these trends can be reversed, but we have four years to do it. Wow. Oh, my gosh. No, I love that, and I will contact her. And so uh, what I need now, unfortunately, we're heading towards the end of the show, Jack. I just loved having you, but I need, I'd love you to tell people how to get in touch with you and you know, sign up for your trainings and so on. Sure. Well, for me, it's Jack Canfield. Just go jackcanfield.com, J-A-C-K, Canfield, C-A-N-F-I-E-L-D.com. For Agents of Conscious Evolution, go to shiftmovement.com. And for Birth 2012, the celebration days, it's just birth2012.com. And if you want to work with me, I'd love to have you do that. We do seminars, and we have online programs going on and all kinds of study courses you can do at home to empower you to live your dream and then to work together to create the dream that we all have, which is an earth that works for all of us. That's wonderful. And, Jack, thanks so much for being here. It's been such a pleasure having you here. My pleasure, Susan. Thanks for the opportunity. You're so welcome. And thank all of you for being here today. I hope you're getting some clear answers to your questions about your own life purpose and are reaching your dreams. Next week, we have Tim Corcoran of the Headwater School helping us reclaim our connection to nature and become committed to safeguarding our planet. Until then, this is Dr. Susan Allison wishing you a week of insight. Thank you again for listening to the Empowered Healer Show. 
Please join your host, Dr. Susan Allison, again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Until then, have an empowering and fulfilling week. We are held in the arms of the goddess. We are held, we are held.